Yo, what's going on? Welcome to 699 per pound podcast, where we interview leaders and professionals from a wide variety of careers and lifestyles, just like the diverse food options found at a Korean hot food deli. You guys can probably see I don't have the bucket hat on today. I look like a gamer where I do a uh, customer service for Optimum. So I'm at home, so I like to let my hair breathe because my hairline is still very strong. Um, so yeah, with that said though, thank you to all the fans and listeners to continuously for continuously supporting us and making sure to subscribe um, and rate. Oh yeah, and um, the podcast and followers on IG at 699 per pound. You know what I mean? Y'all, I see Spotify running around copping everything. I don't know, Spotify, if you're trying to do something with us, we could totally see that you got the bag. So make so sure you down. highlight it if you want to. Um, but yeah, with that said, we, this week we have another very righteous guest. Uh, he was recently featured in the PBS doc, Asian American. He's written a book called Who We Be, you know what I mean? Which I have right now with me, oh! just so y'all know. Um, he, also wrote, he also wrote We Gonna Be All Right. Um, which the Washington Post called it the smartest book of 2016. And, uh, but you know, I first came across his name because of Can't Stop, Won't Stop is the definitive book on socioeconomic impact, impact of hip hop has had on uh, modern American history. It's a must read for anyone who can read <laughs> that's living in a world that hip hop influenced, you know what I mean? So anyone who's born after 1974, you know, I highly recommend you to read it. You know what I mean? Um, He's written for The Guardian, Slate, NY Times, Vibe. He's the vice president of narrative arts and culture at Race Forward. Uh, I mean, all of that shit is dope, but I know him as the co-founder of Soul Sides, AKA Quantum Project, the Bay Area hip hop label slash collective oh. that helped to launch careers of Lyrics Born, Black Alicious, DJ Shadow. You know what I mean? Big shout out yeah. to Joseph Patel. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, man. Yeah. So let's give it yeah. up for Mr. Jeff Chang, man. Bong, bong. Please welcome. What a polymath. Yeah. You're an American yeah. treasure. Yeah, man, he, is. he is an American treasure. For sure. That is so uh, crazy. Oh, my gosh. Jakey was so excited to record with you. He was just like, oh, my God. Like the Jeff Chang. No, he didn't do that. But that, I, mean, I, I, I didn't, I didn't do that, that. But I was definitely, I was definitely excited for sure. Yeah. Yo, it's oh. such an honor to be here. And uh, yeah, man, just to be down with y'all. It's it's so great. Um, yeah. Happy I mean, to be here. It, really happy to be here. Yeah. I mean, how does it feel to have had that much of an impact on like our generation? Like, did you, do you even process that at all? You're just like, oh, you read my book? You guys read? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I'm feeling now. I'm like, damn, somebody read the book. That's great. Maybe my kids can eat. That's dope. Um, no, thank you. I, I, um, you know, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just one of us, man. We, you know, we, this is stuff that we're into. And, um, long before people were like, you know, whatever other folks were saying, oh, you're breaking stereotypes or this or that or whatever. It was just like, nah, this is like what we've always done. And, right. I and think so it's definitely, like a, it's, I think it's definitely a little bit different if you're from the Bay though, because I, I noticed that, um, like just in terms of culture wise, like, a lot more different ethnic backgrounds they kind of congregate more with each other um in the bay at least from an outsider looking in whereas like new york they say yo it's a melting pot but um a lot of the communities are kind of very much segmented you know what i mean like if you're from this part of queens like you've probably never even been to like another part of brooklyn or something you know 
Mm. Um, yeah. Mm. I mean, well, for me, it's like, maybe it's the grass is the green, the grass is greener, you know, like I lived when I moved to New York, I lived in Brooklyn for a few years. And for me, it was like, wow, like, I wish the Bay was like this, you know, mm. um, just thinking about like, like how y'all got it in Brooklyn and Queens and the, the communities there and how folks are always kind of mixing things up and all of that. Like whenever I meet, like, especially folks who are, are, are in hip hop from, from uh, New York city, from, especially from Queens, cause it feels like a lot of the Asian Americans who are in hip hop from New York are from Queens. I'm always like, I'm just, I'm just really tripping on, on y'all's vibe because it's a whole different kind of flex to me, you know, mm, like yeah. I grew up in, I, I grew up in Hawaii. I grew up in Hawaii yeah. and then I, I moved to California and stuff. And, um, yeah, it's just like, yeah, it, it feels like there's so much stuff. I feel like I really need to learn from, mm. from Asian Americans, um, mm. from, from New York city and, well, and around East coast. That's really yeah. interesting. Cause you like, I feel like Hawaii, the Asian American experience growing up in Hawaii is probably really unique and distinctive mm -hmm. if from mm -hmm. like LA. I grew up in LA, JK grew up in Queens. Mm -hmm. And um, mm -hmm. I'm sh we always talk about how it was so different for the two coasts. So can you give us a little bit of a taste of like what that Asian American experience is like in Hawaii? Yeah, I mean, you know, th there's, a, <laughs> there's, a, there's a saying um, that one of my mentors and professors from Hawaii kind of started, which is there are no Asian Americans in Hawaii, you know? Like there's no, mm. there wasn't really a term for Asian American um, in the same way that was. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, well, more, I mean, everybody's Asian like Pacific Pan Islander, Asian, yeah, or yeah, yeah or mixed up or that yeah. kind of thing, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah, I grew up in a place where it was like two thirds folks of color, right? Mm. Um, and then that's a different kind of feeling, right? It's it's closer to like maybe I don't know, like if you if you came up in Korea or something like that, right? Where yeah. where everybody is kind of like culturally more closer to you right and you mm -hmm. see people like yourself in power and that kind of thing and so it just is what it is and so for me the funny thing was not it wasn't uh, funny is the wrong word but like when i moved to california that's when i really started feeling you know the the intensity of what it means to be an asian america uh, asian american like if you get if i would have my holly friends call me chink like growing mm -hmm. up in hawaii and it's like it's, shut up stupid holly <laughs> it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. it doesn't yeah. mean anything right it doesn't yeah, mean right, anything right. if you're in the majority but then you know if you're on a corner in in oakland or berkeley and mm -hmm. somebody's yelling at you and calling you a chink then it's like then the like you have the fear of of you know of real shit happening to you striking you in your heart um mm -hmm. so it's a whole different type of vibe mm -hmm. um and i i think that that's what kind of got me on my path like in terms of trying to figure out my identity yeah. was coming up to the continent and kind of feeling things um, happening in a different kind of way and being made to understand like, Oh, yo, you're a minority, you know, you don't belong here, you know, um, mm -hmm. and trying to figure that out. So, yeah, I, I mean, you know, like I'm sure you've done this for the last three decades, you know, but it, to, you know, this is still like Asian Pacific heritage month right now. Yeah. Um, and uh, the one month know, out of the year, the one, one month, month out, out of the, the year, year. And, it, and it just happens that, um, you know, that one year when, you know, TBS decided to do a, a mm. big special where we're like stuck at home and we can't really uh, <laughs> fully right. enjoy this in a Celebrate physical, it. you know, I mean, celebration. 
Um, I mean, but you're part of the doc. You're part of the uh, the doc that, you know, it was so in your face in terms of the title that you know exactly what the fuck it's about. It's, it's called Asian Americans. Yeah. Asian Americans. Um, so, yeah. yeah. It's like, it, you know, so you're part of it. Like, what were some, you know, takeaways uh, being part of the doc? Um, and yeah, you know, you, you, you highlight your experience, you know, kind of like what you just summed up just now. Um, if you could tell us a little bit about the doc, some takeaways and what, what does it mean to, what does this particular doc mean for our community as a whole? Yeah, it was, it was such an honor to be able to get down with, um, these folks on it. You know, like there are people that I've been, you know, seeing their films and like knowing about them for a real long time. Um, but hadn't had a chance necessarily to be able to work with all of them before. But, you know, Rene Tajima Pena, um, Leo Chang, um, Grace Lee, the great Grace Lee, uh, who did, did that amazing movie on Grace Lee Boggs, American Revolutionary, and Gita Gambier, and, and just this whole team, like predominantly Asian, um, this whole cast of, of folks and, you know, just everybody backing it all up. Just being able to be part of it was such an honor. Um, and then for it to come out like now, right? Mm-hmm. Like in this particular moment, um, under coronavirus, when we're experiencing all the stuff that we're experiencing, I mean, I really, you know, the lead up to it was, it, it, it was like visceral for me because it's like, we've never really had this kind of a thing that's been kind of like our, our, our roots, right? Uh, like the roots TV series was mm-hmm. to America, right? This is, I kind of liken it to that in some ways. It might be, um, you know, it's not it's not necessarily maybe on the, on the same kind of scale, but in terms of um, meaningfulness, um, to be able to, in this moment, like when we've got like the spotlight on Asian Americans because of our presidential candidates and, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah, like Aquafina, right? Aquafina's out there, Crazy Rich Asians and stuff was out there fresh off the boat, just ended its run. Um, so many of us, uh, Ali's out there doing her thing, Ali Wong, um, Randall's out there doing his thing, Lyrics Born's doing his thing. Like everybody's out there. There's a, a spotlight right now on Asian Americans, but people don't know our stories. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, for me to be able to see the way that they put these stories together and showing that it's messy, right? That it's complicated, that um, it's not just a clean type of thing. Like, there's times where we've been really heroic and then there's times where it's been not like that at all. Right. Like you've got, you've got histories in the same family where it's like people, uh, intermarried with African Americans and then, you know, folks in the same, uh, sort of, uh, communities like trying to petition the Supreme court to be judged as white, you know? So Asian Americans being in this Mm. really complex place in between, um, folks and also being able to point out the difficult kinds of um parts of our history where it's like where maybe we haven't been um um taking care of the native uh populations native hawaiian populations Mm -hmm. haven't taken care of um you know other or you know other sort of communities of color the way that we should um in different types of moments And, and letting it all hang out like that was a dope thing for me that they actually made it so that it wasn't like neat and, and easily resolved. Um, yeah. And as a, not as the a platform, model minority, it, it wasn't yeah, like not the model all. minority, but mm-hmm. not the model minority, but also not like superheroes. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. we are, we are superheroes in regular life. Folks are out there, you know, 
working in hospitals, doing the essential work and doing all of that kind of stuff all the time. Um, that's just what we do because that's who we are. You know, we're out there volunteering and taking care of the communities and getting mm -hmm. food to the elders and all of that kind of stuff. Um, but there's a lot of stuff that we have to work on. And I, I love that the, the documentary series, like, presented us in our good and our bad and everything in between the full yeah. range of humanity in our community really yeah and for those who may not know um how were you approached and like who uh, approached you and like did you you know at, did, were you joining in at kind of like the stage where they were going to like storyboard and everything or did you kind of come in as like an expert to a storyline would love to know the genesis of that partnership yeah, they've been working on it for a while to try to get funding mm -hmm. for it. And yeah. it, it finally kind of started really cohering, I want to say probably in the last two years. Um, and so, you know, we, I, I would see Grace or I'd see Renee and they'd be like, hey, we're doing this thing. Like, we want to reach out to you. I'm like, of course, anything you ever need. <laughs> and 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 uh i'm laughing because uh of course it ended up being a lot more than i thought it was gonna yeah. be like you know they bring you out then they sit you in a chair and then you do an eight-hour interview and you're like oh my Whoa. god but then it was dope i mean it was like a family you know like they mm -hmm. they fed me it was probably the best spread that i've ever had at any yes. shoot uh because you know we know. gotta do it that way exactly right <laughs> we gotta do it that way um it was like the best spread and it was like just family like everybody was there were really emotional moments i mean they captured mm -hmm. some of the most emotional moments for 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 me um and and it was and i but i always felt safe like you know mm -hmm. to be able to talk about hawaii or to talk about the la riots or these kinds of moments that were um that are like so central to who i am um so it was it was amazing it was really amazing yeah um so i mean for anybody who's uh, uh listening and didn't know about this doc's existence prior to this conversation where can people find out and you know in this era when having television at home it's kind of like an archaic thing almost like can we still get <laughs> access can we to stream TVs? it you know where can we where can we look for this yeah um thank you for asking you guys um so it is streaming on pbs right now you just go to pbs just type into your search pbs asian americans and you'll get mm -hmm. a link directly there and all of the episodes are streaming all five of them when it's gone i'm not sure how long it's going to be up there i hope that it's gone i'm not gone um mm -hmm. very soon that it's up there for a while oh now um, we asians you know we probably gonna bootleg that shit you know what i mean so uh, <laughs> we'll figure it out yeah you know you can we'll get, it, get it down at your local store yeah, yeah, <laughs> get it for the dvd lady yeah. you know what I mean? <laughs> no but for real they, it'll be on amazon prime too and i think that i think mm. it'll actually be on dvds too if you wanted to order it and you know yeah. this it's for, for folks who want to teach it and stuff like that so yeah yeah, yeah. Sure. i mean I, yeah. I, honestly i don't even know if i could play dvds anymore because i think none of my computers <laughs> i have, have uh, i don't have that either yeah but uh I, I like the fact that you mentioned um you know the la riots because it's it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a it's a major it's a very significant moment in our history we're not only in american history but just yeah um in the asian american history and especially for um jojo and i you know we're of korean descent and uh, right. yeah. it has had a uh it was a very pivotal moment um in our identity of who we are in, in america mm -hmm. and yeah. um 
I, as a kid, like I've heard like different stories from adults uh, about the riots, but I never really understood it from a socioeconomic, uh, just just from a uh, uh, like a perspective that is on both sides and how it correlates to hip hop. Until I I didn't understand any of that until I read Can't Stop Won't Stop, mm. you know, and that the, the book details it in in um. You know, you, you, you basically dedicate an entire, like a good portion of the book specifically on what that meant for the Asian community, the black community, the hip hop community, and so on. And yeah. um, it's, it's, I, I mean, that, that book itself is, I mean, the New Yorker called it one of the most urgent and passionate histories of popular music ever written. And um, mm-hmm. as anybody who's grow, who grew up in the hip hop generation or the post hip hop generation, whatever you want to call it, it's a, uh, it's a documentation of something. I mean, next to Dan Sharness is the big payback, which kind of oh, yeah. looks at it, looks at it Amazing from a financial business yeah. perspective. I think can't stop, won't stop. I mean, I, I consider those two books, like if you want to understand hip hop, like those two books are essential. Right. So, appreciate um, that. Yeah. you know, I know you first started writing it in the late nineties and, um, Overall, it was also a big year for hip hop because of you know Biggie's passing and uh, um, yeah. you know uh, and just like it was also the uh, the beginning of the Jiggy era in a way, right? So hip hop really yeah. became a commercial commercially viable venture. Uh, tell us a little bit about like you know the genesis of that book. You know what I mean? Mm. Because it, it I, you know, a lot of these other work that you've done also defines you, but you know that was kind of that that book kind of really put you. Mm. Over the uh, edge. Yeah, like just, you know, like you're going down into history books because of that book. You know what I mean? Oh, man, appreciate that. Not Um, for real. Yeah, no, I, I, um, so I think all of us kind of who came up during that particular period, right? Like hip hop was for us kind of a way to be able to, um, express ourselves like artistically as well as politically too, right? So it was, and and some folks like they wouldn't have called it like political but you knew like people had consciousness because of hip-hop people gain consciousness right uh, uh about the, who they are and um i think particularly about the history of race in america um and the central the central role that black freedom culture and the black freedom movement has played in all of this stuff to to um um not just black folks but to everybody right and particularly for me being a Chinese and native Hawaiian descent, like being able to engage with hip hop gave me a chance to be able to really dig, dig into and dive into my um, identity. So, you know, I was part of the first um, class at UCLA's Asian American studies program Mm -hmm. um, after the riots uh, in 92. And um, that was a crazy period because all these ideas that we had had about, you know, thinking about Asian America at that time had just been thrown out the window, you know, yeah. like here, here you had like literally billions of dollars in losses, right. For, for, um, Korean Americans. Um, and everybody, you know, everybody was touched by it. Like, even if you were not like Korean American, like me, like I had lots of friends who were out there with guns, right. On, um, on day two, you know, of, of the riots out there, defending their stores for their parents and, and uncles and aunts and, mm-hmm. you know, families and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then I had friends who are out there looting as well. You know, I had, we have folks on both sides and, and how are you supposed to like 
make sense of that. Like mm-hmm. that was what we were trying to figure out at that particular period. So for me, you know, like Soul Side started in '91 um, when we all started getting together around around the radio station at UC Davis, um, and it was just a bunch like didn't like we didn't plan it to be multiracial or that kind of thing, but it ended up being that way just because we all had a love for hip hop. Um, and so in that moment, you know, hip hop was really, um, hip hop was really trying to figure it out. And we were telling our elders like, yo, this stuff is about to go down. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm having fights with all of my closest friends around these kinds of things, um, on a day to day type of basis. And, and that's how deep everything was running. There was like a sense of division. It was like a, a sense of war almost that was developing. And then the riots jump off and then it's like, damn, like, what do we do now? You know, the, the, the thing about the documentaries, it shows this moment where literally after the riots ended, you had tens of thousands of Korean Americans joined by other Asian Americans who marched in the streets and they were joined by black folks, mm-hmm. by brown folks, um, by, you know, Danas white folks who were just saying, like, this is not how we're going to be. And for an, an entire generation, like we were trying to figure out like how we were going to try to move things in a different direction. So for me, that became writing and it became hip hop. We started the label, we started doing the label. And um, by 97, you know, things were like ill because hip hop had blown up, but it didn't feel like a lot of the problems were getting resolved. And then sure enough, right, like you see Tupac getting killed. Um, you see Biggie getting killed and then suddenly we're just like, damn, like mm-hmm. we made so much progress in the culture, but on the street, things are just the same that, as they ever were, right? Like five years later after the riots. Um, so at that point, you know, the, the crew, we all got together and, um, uh, and folks kind of decided, they said, you know, look, um, we're going to do our music and, you know, there's just not a place for you at this particular point. I was trying to be like, whatever, a, a mini puffy or whatever. And I just didn't have it in me. I just didn't have it. Um, and they were just trying to let me down nicely, but they also knew that I had something else that I needed to do. And so I literally, we folded soul sides and it became quantum, um, in 98. And that was the point where I was just like, yeah, you know, they're right. And then I got to get to the, get to work and can't stop, won't stop kind of came out of that. And so you mentioned that, you know, the riots, there's a large portion of it de- devoted to that. It's real because that was actually, that was, that was the point where I realized, wow, there's a story here, like mm-hmm. that I can, I can see myself be a part of. And that became like the core of the, the center of the book. Um, so the good news is short, you know, long story. Sorry, I'm kind of going on and no, on. Not about at all, no, this is gold. But, uh, this is great. great to know. This is good to know. The, the, the end, the end story of this is, is that, um, me and my homie, Davey D. Uh, Davey D is a legendary hip-hop journalist. Um, he's from the Bronx. He's based in Oakland for, for the last decade or so, or last few decades, actually. We just finished the young adult version of Can't Stop, Won't Stop. Oh. Turned it in on Monday, actually. It's going to come out probably uh, in a few months. It'll be out. Um, but it, it basically goes back and has the entire story from 1960s all the way up to this year. Um, wow. And, you know, and, and so it's dope because we get to, now the book has lived long enough that we can get it to another generation. So mm-hmm. we're going to be able to get it to like, you know, 12-year-olds and 13-year-olds and 
that kind of thing and be able to talk about everything from, you know, Black Panthers and Black Power all the way up to Black Lives Matter. And I get to talk about the Korean B-boys, you know what I mean? I get to talk about, I get to talk about uh, Filipino-American DJs, you know? Um, we get to talk about the women in hip-hop who laid the, 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 the groundation, the foundation mm-hmm. for no, that's, 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 that's definitely a milestone because I, I mean i'm sure you probably never would have imagined um that you're gonna have the yeah. second print third print and an updated version a new forward in in the book like, you know what i mean like you probably didn't think that it was going to be part of college curriculums when you when you wrote this book um so but but you know i know that it was kind of challenging for you to kind of put this together in, in the beginning. Um, I know, I know you had to move to New York city. I know you had to, uh, uh, work for Russell, uh, Russell Simmons. I know there's yeah. uh, different opinions about his, you know, his situation right now, but, uh, yeah. you know, but he, he, there's, there's no denying the fact that, you know, he's had, had an, a major influence on, uh, commercializing and really making hip hop into a viable business. Right. Um, mm-hmm. like what was your experience like, like, you know, trying to first, put this book together from a business perspective, right? Because I know, I know you were uh, writing for different publications, yeah. but like I, I, up, up until that point, I don't think there was really that many books about hip hop as a culture, you know, or, or, you know, there were probably like a few like autobiographies being written mm-hmm. about like musicians, but mm-hmm. I don't know as hip hop as a culture, as a coffee table book, as an urban yeah. outfitters special, you know what I mean? I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. think that was really like yeah. in the publisher's minds. Like, so, yeah. you know, how, how were you able to get that contract? Like, you know, what was that? What was that money? Like, yeah, you how, know, how like, did you pitch? Yeah. How did you pitch it? Yeah, how, what was the pitch process like, you know? Yeah. It's interesting. Cause you're right. I mean, at that time, like when we went in, um, you know, my agent was like, yo, we're not, we're, we can't, we can't sell this as a music book. Cause then, it'll be like pitched for music sections and music stores and that kind of stuff. This is bigger than that. I was like, wow, you're right. I guess you're right. You know, um, the, the, the book was always meant to be about like, yo, this is like, this is us. Right. So everything Mm -hmm. like the culture came from somewhere. Right. And the culture impacted us because we came from different places and we were going through conditions that like, um, that related to what was happening in black neighborhoods and has been happening uh, in black communities going all the way back. So uh, it, when it resonated with those of us who were not black, right, it's because like we could see that there were the same kinds of political conditions that our generation was going through. Um, and that's where the culture comes from, right? It's mm-hmm. not just like somebody gets up one day and plays a record, and starts dancing and stuff. It's like, yo, this stuff couldn't have started anywhere but the Bronx. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was important to be able to kind of tell that story. And for me, you know, like what happened was, was I had been doing a lot of writing for many years. I definitely understood the West Coast story. Um, I definitely understood what it meant to be like down for hip hop, but be living outside of New York. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and the kind of like the kind of things that Tupac was talking about really when he was in his like, uh, up and coming phase and even like all the way through to the end, like the disrespect or whatever that, that folks outside of New York felt or the, the feeling really more, um, that like, Oh, you're treating me like a little brother or a little sister, right? Like, but actually I got something to say, right? Like that's what, that's what Andre said, right? At the source awards, the South got something to say. And it was the same type of vibe all across 
the U.S. So I knew that story. And when I moved to New York to work um, at 360 Hip Hop, which was a, a website back then um, around hip hop, um, which Russell had started, um, uh, I started meeting a lot of the pioneers. And then I was like, oh, damn, now I get it. Now I understand, like, yo, when we say this or we say that, like, this is actually straight up Bronx style from, like, you know, the 19, late 1960s to the 1970s or whatever. And people dance like this because the gangs used to do this, mm-hmm. you know, and you know what I mean? And, and like different types of things. And I, I started like, there was a point where like I would be sitting in the subway stations waiting for the train and, you know, a train pulls through and I'm just like, I'm seeing graffiti on it, like just through my eyes. Like it was, I was just seeing it, you know, I, I really understood that. And then that was when I was able to say, oh, I can write this. Mm-hmm. And so I put together a proposal and we took it around and I just got with the the best agent and she um took me in and uh we you know we had a few bids on it but there was one um black editor monique patterson who i'm still with like all these years later Mm -hmm. who really really just understood and got it and she's today to this day one of my like closest friends and um and we just said okay let's go and do this and so we we uh got on it i (laughs) said I spent out my entire advance pretty quickly. Um, you know, by today's standards, it, it probably wasn't that much. Um, but, and it took four years to write the damn book. So, uh, damn. four more years, I should say four more years to write the book. And then it came out and then, you know, things were, awesome. things were uh, different after that. So, yeah. And I guess like maybe for some of our listeners who are like a little bit outside of this world, um, mm-hmm. I would love to know. So you're you know, when I read your bio, it's like he's a historian. And I'm like, wait, but then he did this and he founded a label and he did like all of these things. Like, were you always like a polymath? And because you say you took like Asian American studies, so you have like this anthropological mind, this like social sciences mind, but all of that melds together being like that person of the culture. Cause you're like a almost like a cultural expert or a critic. Like, mm. <laughs> I feel like. Did you even know that you were? That's really wild. (laughs) Yeah, are are you just like, wait, I am. That's so weird. Like, can you explain that to us? Like, you don't grow up thinking like, when I grow up, I'm gonna become a cultural critic. Like, how do you even (laughs) fall into this stuff? You know? Yeah, no, I, I just, I've been lucky. I've just been really, really lucky. You know, Mm. Um, I've been able to pursue the things that I'm really interested in and and love and I'm passionate about, and so I've been. And I've got an amazing partner and she kind of, you know, she supports me and uh, has supported me through like the real dry times and, you know, times are better now. So, um, so yeah, I've just been really lucky, but it's the kind of thing where I, uh, I've just been able to, 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 um, yeah, just to be able to, you know, I, I, I think that I'll say this, like I, when Mm -hmm. I grew up for me growing up on a little Island, um, in the middle Pacific and that kind of thing, music was the bridge, right. To, to these other worlds. Um, and to also be able to enlighten me, like when I was really young, um, the music in the islands was very much about like struggle, right. It was about, there was this thing called the Hawaiian Renaissance that was going on and the music, um, really got me to understand a lot of my history, um, back Mm -hmm. then in a real, like basic kind of a way, you know, um, we didn't grow up, I didn't grow up with a lot of Hawaiian language at all, um, other than what is, you know, sort of normal. Um, 
type of stuff that local kids would speak. Um, but I didn't grow up with Hawaiian language, but through these songs, like I had a connection to, you know, my, my ancestors past and what they had gone through and that kind of stuff. And it made sense. And, and then I start hearing reggae and I'm like, wow, what's this all about? And I can understand and connect to that struggle. So I started learning a little bit more about colonialism, but I didn't have a name for it back then. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, listening to black music and that kind of thing, you know, what's going on, right? Like Marvin Gaye or whatever, um, understanding more about the Vietnam war and going, okay, that's a war against yellow people. Like what's going on with that? You know? So music was always that kind of bridge to, um, to these, I, I guess, you know, you could call it higher consciousness. Um, and, uh, and I guess, I, again, I've been really lucky to be able to pursue that in, in my life to be able to follow that path down. And I like to say that hip hop taught me everything. So mm -hmm. everything that I know, um, I came through hip hop. I came yeah. at it through hip hop. I mean, I, you know, I can't, I can't agree with that sentence uh, more it's, for me as mm -hmm. well. Like mm -hmm. my whole entire American identity has been shaped by hip hop culture. Like the way I talk, the way I look at things, my yeah. political views, uh, even my money money management skills, like, <laughs> you, know, like bread. Um, you know what I mean. So like, um, yeah. it's, it's weird because I, I feel like I look at I, I look at Jay Z's um, um, discography and I'm like, okay, cool. Like when he was younger, he was spending you know lavishly, uh, and now like he's all about real estate investment. I was like, oh, okay, this is like exactly like you know how I see myself like moving forward. Um, but. You, you know, like, I, I think not only did hip hop, you know, help build who I am as an individual in America um, that helped me understand America, it specifically allowed me to uh, understand and sympathize with black culture and black America. Right. And um, mm -hmm. kind of like what you mentioned about Hawaiian protest music um, mm -hmm. and so on and so forth. And uh, right now, um, kind of like I can't I can't really speak on the riots because I wasn't there like physically. I don't I only read about it and saw um, you know documentaries about it. But there's been a lot of conversations right now between um, the Asian experience and the black experience. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, and in this current moment, um, I don't like to mention, you know, certain viral videos of kids doing dumb shit to Asian folks because I don't like to categorize that as a black versus asian thing is literally mm -hmm. dumb it's just kids like dumb kids dumb yeah. shit to an older elder person it could that elder person could have been white it could have been a, a lot of different you know mm -hmm. like the races could have been vice versa right but um mm -hmm. but as someone that grew up through the riots and now living through this whole pandemic where um our president is openly calling it the china virus and mm -hmm. uh not only is there a racial divide that is happening between just a majority, which is white Americans, kind of castigating the Asian minority, um, but also like a lot of the misunderstanding that is happening amongst the POCs, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, how, how do you feel about that? You know, like, w what are your thoughts? Um, is there anything that you like to share? Is there anything mm -hmm. that you would like to point out? Because, yeah. you know, the ignorance doesn't just come from one side, you know what I mean? Like, because whenever, whenever I see... And obviously, like these social media conversations, I don't really like to take them too seriously because, you know, they're not really always valid. But, you know, like I see some of the Asian brothers and sisters saying some really foul racist shit about black folks as well, like online. And I, I feel like there's definitely 
some level of tension that is being, you know, that that's brewing right now. And um, yeah, if you could just share share some of your thoughts, that'd be great. I mean, it's yeah, no, thanks for asking that. I mean, I think it's calculated, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not any mistake that the moment that you start seeing all these white folks out with American flags and guns saying open up the country now is the moment that everybody realizes that most of the folks who are dying are folks of color. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And it's, it's real that, that this is irrational, right? It makes no freaking sense. Right. Um, the, the, the thing that's real is that blacks are dying at twice the rate of any other group, right? Latinos are dying at higher rates. Pacific Islanders and Asian Americans are dying at higher rates. And why? It's because we're all the folks who are the essential workers. We are all the folks who are, are taking people their food, right? And we're the folks who are, are taking the swabs uh, for, for the coronavirus testing. We're the folks who are the nurses who are in the, in the hospitals. Uh, we're also the folks who have been laid off. I mean, shit, I'm looking at the numbers in New York City. It's like, 7,000% increase in unemployment in Asian American uh, communities. Like, yeah, yeah no, I couldn't believe that number. I mean, it's, right? it's totally believable because, you know, I, I'm a small business owner in mm-hmm. Flushing, Queens, which is, they say that it's arguably the biggest Chinatown outside of China. <laughs> you know, like, right, and, yeah. um, a lot of these businesses are cash owned businesses, and um, a mm-hmm. lot of these food and uh, hospitality businesses. You know, they can't access no PPP loans. You know what I mean? Like they 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 don't have the type of infrastructure to allow that to happen. And, you know, whether you are a, uh, a restaurant worker or you work in the sex industry or you work with a lot of these small businesses that is constructed by Asian-Americans in mm-hmm. our country, mm-hmm. they're under the radar. You know, yeah. they, they're not officially reported. And it's it's kind of ironic to me that when our services are needed, um, there's no real arguments made, and when uh, when shit comes to shove, <laughs> you know yeah. we're kind of like undermined. You know, it's like yeah. we're, we're irrelevant. Yeah. That's right, and so it's like the it, so you got all these folks who are basically with guns at these state houses saying, you know what, open up the fucking country, and by the way, you know, you Asian people deliver me my my Chinese dinner or whatever, my Japanese sushi, right? And by the way. Like you Latino, um, you know, folks go to work in the meat packing industry. So you guys go and cut your chickens and that kind of thing so I can have my food. And by the way, you know, you black folks and stuff like that, those of you who we haven't left unemployed, mm-hmm. right? Like you guys go ahead and drive the cars to make sure that you guys get all of my stuff that I need to get from Amazon, like for my thermometers and that kind of stuff. Like we're the ones who are out there dying. And so it makes perfect sense to me that, that uh that trump would be out there calling this chinese virus the wuhan virus the whatever right blaming everything they got a whole um republican playbook on how to actually blame everything on china and biden is falling into that stuff as well and that stirs everybody up right so suddenly they have a scapegoat that they can kind of point to for all of this stuff all of the stuff that they've been put into um and i mean it's basically that's the way that racism works so what I want to say to our folks, right, mm-hmm. to, to Asian and Pacific Island folks who are like, man, you know, we need to go out and, and whatever, form vigilante groups or that kind of stuff, blah, 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 whatever, right? Stupid shit, right? 
Like those aren't your enemies. Yeah. The enemies are the folks who are over there trying to to make all of us fight each other. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happened with the riots, yeah. right? Um, so two things. One is is we got to recognize like the the places that we we do have privilege, um, and we have to be able to turn that around um, and say, okay, I'm going to use this privilege to help folks, right? Who are needing to help for to to be helped. Um, and then call out the motherfuckers that are setting us up for this. Mm-hmm. I mean, at the end of the day, the science supports equity, right? Science yeah. supports racial justice. If we're going to get out of this virus situation, we have to go straight to taking care of the people who are the most impacted. And that's our communities, right? Mm-hmm. And Trump, everything that he's doing is basically trying to get people away from that. Like he's denying the science. He's denying racial equity, He's scapegoating people and pitting them against each other. And we just have to recognize that for for the bullshit that it is. Yeah. I think the resounding theme when we talk to people is that like divide and conquer kind of thing. It's like, okay, you know, if we keep these people divided, it's easier to keep them under control. And it's just like something we're trying to be subversive towards. Um, And you mentioned that like history kind of repeats itself, right? Um, even with the LA riots, like till now, like these tensions still exist. Do you feel like what, and you mentioned a lot of like what remains the same, but mm-hmm. are there any things where you're optimistic, like things are evolving a little bit more and like, what can we do to make sure that momentum stays? I am. I mean, if you, if we look at the long arc of history, right. I mean, what the riots produced were, um, you right they produced the two of you right they produced Mm. a whole generation of folks who decided like we want to get involved in racial justice types of issues Mm -hmm. uh to be able to kind of work for a better like society for for everybody and whether that's going to be done in business or that's done in like uh culture or that's done in you know healthcare or that's done in somebody like um, starting up a community organization to, you know, to bring folks together. Um, let's say like Ijin Poo from the National Domestic Workers Alliance, um, another amazing uh, Asian American from New York City, right? Um, like these are the kinds of things that, that um, make me actually proud and happy. Like when I, when I look at what's happening right now in our communities, right, we are like under a lot of stress. We are under... Um, a ton of financial stress and economic stress were being displaced. Um, you know, like in a couple of months, it's going to be about rent. It's going to be about evictions. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's going to be in fact uh, impacting our folks a lot um, as well. Um, but what folks have been doing has been getting organized. Um, and so we've seen like this explosion of folks getting together, trying to figure out what to do. And then, you know, making it happen, like you all making it happen, you know, um, and informing each other and keeping each other kind of lifted up during these tough times. So, you know, I've seen like over the last 25 years, um, 30 years, like what's happened, right? That that's been a, a super positive type of thing. And that that's like been a huge te- type of step forward. We were a community where in the 1990s, like the Republicans were hardcore rec- recruiting like Koreans they were recruiting South Asians, they were recruiting Chinese um, and Vietnamese Americans, right? Um, they were recruiting groups like hardcore, and we were voting like for Bush in like large numbers, you know, um, George W. Bush. And nowadays, like, there's been a, a strong shift um, 
to to the left on things because folks recognize, oh, you know what? That didn't actually help us at all. Um, it got us into situations that we didn't want to be involved in. And so I'm, I'm, I'm actually, you know, glass half full, more than half full about this. I think we're going to be able to make it actually. Like you would, like your book said, we going to be all right. You know what I mean? Like Kendrick <laughs> that's Kendrick. Said, um, yeah. That's Kendrick said. Um, yeah. So, so I know that you are the, the VP of narrative arts and culture at race forward, um, which does a, a great job of providing effective actions towards racial equity. Um, and uh, as we talk about like Asian and black relationships, if you can kind of give us a couple of things that people can do on a mm. local level yeah. to make a difference, I think that would be really helpful. Mm. I mean, find your groups, you know, find your folks locally who are doing things right. Um, there's so many different types of things that are happening from, um, you know, whatever from, everything from like relief and food deliveries and all that kind of stuff to elderly and folks who are, who are not well to, um, to the more radical actions, you know, people, uh, standing up, right. To look at housing justice issues, um, to talk about canceling rent, um, to talk about how we actually take care of the folks who need it the most in this particular time. Um, people are organizing in the workplace, right. They're, they're organizing, um, at all the big companies to be able to say, this is the way we need to be treated. Um, we need to be able to have health security. You need to be able to take care of our working conditions. Um, and, and you need to be recognizing, like, if you guys are planning layoffs and furloughs, yo, look at what's happening. Who are you actually, who are you actually firing here? Like try to, try to make stuff happen. Um, you know, that, that takes equity to, into account. And so, Folks are doing that even in the art sector right now. Folks are getting organized to be able to uh, make sure that artists are getting funded, um, that they're being able to get commissions and continue to be able to do their work because the artists want to make the contribu contribution, right? They want to be able to do the work that they do, which is to uh, uplift and heal the communities. So, you know, folks are doing all kinds of stuff um, in all of these different places and there's always more room for folks to be able to step up and, and, and do more. And I've been really happy to see like in Asian American communities, like the volunteerism has like gone through the roof in the last two months. Um, so, you know, definitely look out for that kind of stuff. And, you know, the other part of it is one of the things that we do at race forward is we got this, we got this daily news site called color lines. Um, that's a really great place for, information on the issues as they're happening at this particular moment around coronavirus, um, how people are being affected um, from like Navajo Nation, which if it were a state would mm -hmm. be like the number three most impacted um, state in the yeah, country no, in terms of death yeah, rates. Like, no, like I right? actually got contacted by some uh, fr people that I befriended recently from the nation and they've been mm -hmm. telling me the uh, infrastructure over there is it's it's fucking criminal, man. Like what they're doing to these people, the, like the lack of hospitals in this big chunk of land, you know, like and um, just lack of infrastructure overall. Like people are just dying, and um, you know, the native people in this country, they're they're really um, they're they're literally being destroyed, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> every yeah. step of the way. And I think it's it's uh, it's it's you know, I'm very glad that you actually brought that up because I feel like even as even as POCs, like we, we also need to be cognizant of 
yo, like these native people doesn't even get to be in any of these conversations because mm-hmm. yeah. they're so um, under so, underrepresented. Yeah. You know and what I mean? Invisible. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's super real. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. So we, mm-hmm. sorry, yeah. No, no, no I was ahead, just gonna say. So we do that. We do that on a daily basis. We're sort of we're lifting up those kinds of stories to let people know um, what's going on there, and we're also offering um, different ways for folks to be able to get involved. So. We have community organizations that have been doing op-eds um, for us, lifting up the issues that are happening in their communities. Um, and and we have funds that people can give to. We give information out around those kinds of things. And it's just colorlines.com. And so that's another place that folks can kind of get the information that they might be able to need to be able to step up in this particular moment. Cool. Awesome. For sure. Well, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll make sure to make sure y'all check out colorlines.com. Yes. I mean, I just literally Googled it and it was the first thing that popped up. Um, it's not yeah. one of those like whack Asian American associations with a horrible name that's not <laughs> suitable for SEO. Triple A, 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 B, P, C, you know what I mean? Like it's just colorlines.com, you know what I mean? So I um, just went there with that. Come on, man. We're trying to be all like love and light and community oops. together. <laughs> no, but I, I got, I got, I, I had to call that out, man, Jeff. You know, like I, hey, as much real. as much as I'm about for the people, man. Some of the branding initiatives it, it probably need some updates. You know, what I mean? uh, that's all I'm I saying. That. That's all I'm I saying. Agree, man. With all the, with all these uh, design students at SVA and Parsons, come on, man. Like, yes, we need to come up with yes. better branding for this. Um, yeah, that's what we need, man. We need a website group for yeah. for the community, for the yeah, culture. I was about to say, not for sure, for sure, definitely. <laughs> we need a website group for that, definitely. Um, so, sorry, like I, you know, people are like, you know, banging, banging, and clapping outside right now because it's seven o'clock. <laughs> in the East Coast. Um, but uh, you know, so I mean, I know, I know that you, I, you know, you didn't like, you weren't like a a, a trained writer, but you know, mm-hmm. through your perspectives and just you know, trial and error and practice makes perfect. You're now considered one of, if not one of the most premier, not only an Asian American writer, but like just one of the most uh, recognized hip hop writers in in general, you know what I mean? Um, do you have any sort of advice for young writers where I guess like, you know, in 2020, what does it even mean to be a writer or a critic, right? <laughs> um, mm. But uh, do you have any advice for writers or content producers that wants to do work that's impactful for the community and also cover hip-hop or any sort of um social uh uh movements i mean you know the 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 thing is 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 as little as we are valued sometimes folks need us and i don't think that like there's a a a period more than now that that kind of like demands that more right? That we really just got to be able to, to kind of get out there, capture the stories that need to be told and to be able to kind of move those stories out there. So, I mean, don't give up, you know, put in your time, um, put in the work, you know, find your folks, um, build it up, you know, um, get out there, be out there on, on, on media, social media, and that kind of thing. But, you know, like, make sure you're adding something of substance. Um, that's what people are looking for right now, I feel like. You know, people, are, people aren't looking for escape as much as they're looking for folks to say, yeah, I see you. Like, I see you there in your room, right, by yourself. You think you're alone, but you're not. 
um, ultimately that's like really the work that journalists and artists do, you know, that writers do, right. Is, is to be able to, to say, Hey, you know, um, we're actually all in this together. And, um, and, and, uh, and so, yeah, you know, like that's, that's where we got to go with it. You know, the, the business models, um, are, are not necessarily the first thing we should be thinking about at this particular moment. Like we should be thinking about what's the needs and how can we fulfill those needs? Um, basically for hip hop journalism, the way to tell the way that I, th- I kind of tell the story is like, you know, hip hop was kind of going strong and really blowing up through the, through the late eighties. Um, but there was a huge need for folks to be able to talk to each other about what was going on. Like, everything from like bragging or, or arguing about like the artists around your way that was super dope. Right. To, um, to like, yo, let's talk about police brutality that's happening right now. Um, and so hip hop journalism started as this network of folks finding each other to be able to swap those stories. Right. Like, you know, Chuck D called, you know, rap, like, you know, the black CNN and it became a CNN, for a whole generation of youth. Um, and I think that that's like what we're looking for now, right? Is like, who are the folks, who are the voices that are out there, like the two of you who are stepping up, who are amplifying the stuff that folks need to be able to hear right now. Um, so don't think about like making the money at it initially. Maybe your parents will make you do that in the long run. Actually, you can be guaranteed your parents will probably make you do that in the long run, but like for now, like think about the need, think about what you need, think about what your friends need, think about what needs to be filled there as a gap for the community and fill that. Yeah, no, nah, for sure. I mean, um, yeah, I was, I was, uh, I was, I was a, uh, I was a young writer that wasn't really making much <laughs> writing, uh, writing <laughs> rap reviews for Double XL and the Source, but uh, right, you know, right. I think I think I panned out okay for me uh, uh, in the yeah. long run. So I want to kind of connect the dots here because I feel like, you know, Jeff, you wrote that incredible book and JK in his own right um, created a documentary kind of really alluding to a lot of these um, histories. It kind of interweaves together. He specifically focused on Asian Americans in rap. Um, mm-hmm. So I wanted to know, JK, like, did you are some of the things that Jeff is saying, like really resonating to you? Did you have like a similar experience and, you know, people maybe seeing you and being like, oh, you're not of the culture. Like, why are you adopting certain things? Like, do you feel that day to day still? Yeah, yeah, totally. I mean, um, recently I've had like a little bit of a, a, a little bit of a, a TikTok fame. You know what I mean? I was able to get like a oh. little bit over, a little bit over like 250K followers in oh, within two months. But um, a lot of it kind of has to be attributed to the fact that like, you know, they just did not expect this face with this mm-hmm. voice and this type of tone of uh, choice of words or accent, mm-hmm. and um, I know um, there's been a uh, there's been a lot of conversations about um, cultural appropriation uh, being thrown around very loosely. I feel like, um, and yeah. uh, you know, I've always I've you know even during the, the promotion of my film Bad Rap, there's been uh, there's been a lot of jabs from people saying that, you know, like some of the cast members that's in the film as well, like Dumbfounded and Aquafina, that, you know, we are uh, utilizing black culture to monetize when mm-hmm. in reality, like um, we we've been participants and appreciators of the culture before we made 
any any like not not single not not a dime from it you know like we we were doing this uh we were fans of this culture and we were uh you know we we've been we've been we were students of the culture be when when people within our own community like within our own asian community kind of considered it and kind of uh you know like castigated us for for trying to be participants and um now the argument oftentimes i hear not only from the quote-unquote like woke Asian crowd and the woke black Twitter crowd is all these arguments like, yo, like you guys are appropriators without really understanding what that means. You know what I mean? There's, there's clearly a fine difference between appreciation and appropriation, right? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, like as somebody who's been part of the hip hop culture and has wrote mm-hmm. a definitive book about hip hop, but of being an Asian descent, um, I'm curious to know like, what are your thoughts about these conversations that are, you know, that's, that's, that's circulating? Yeah. I mean, this is something that comes up. I mean, it's always come up for me as, as far as from the very beginning of dropping this book and that kind of thing. It was, it's interesting because it was never an issue when I was coming up in the hip hop journalism type of thing, or even before that in the hip hop scene period. Right. Um, And I don't want to be like, nostalgic or anything but it was a kind of kind of thing where where you respected like i was you know i was in hip-hop during a time where um where you didn't see white kids or a lot of asian kids uh at these shows right you you went there and you did that you did it respecting that this was a, a space in which there were like a lot of folks um not a lot of folks you know from asian and pacific islander background i take that back pacific islander is a little bit of a different experience but certainly from an East Asian, to be specific, East Asian American and East Asian kind of perspective in these shows and in these events and all that kind of stuff, right? So, you know, you come in and you respect the space and you, if you can add to the cipher and you, you come off, then people will show you love. And if you, if you come in and you, you come in wrong, then you, you, (laughs) people are going to run you out. They'll let you know and you're not coming back, right? So, that was how I came into the whole situation. Of course, things have changed dramatically since then um, to where now, you know, the, the quote unquote hip hop space, right. It's, it's like, it's a, it's a battlefield in some ways. Right. Um, And you got, you know, white rappers who act like they have never known, you know, that there could be anything else that they're always, you know, just like with jazz, like at some point, it's like you didn't have to be, you didn't have to kind of study, um, you know, with black mentors or, or, or that kind of thing. You could just be a, a white jazz musician, right? Um, so it's it's a complicated type of thing now, for sure. And I understand where people coming in and saying, you know, like, what are you doing? What's going on? Blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, I understand where that's coming from, but... I'm not the kind of person who will respect somebody who hasn't paid their dues and and doesn't seen hasn't seen what what you know I've kind of seen right. So that's just from my point of view. Mm-hmm. I mean, what we what we definitely understand is is a lot of the debate about cultural appropriation because we hold on to it too is about the exploitation of our cultures by folks who then expropriate the 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 uh the culture for their own gain right 
And this is actually the same argument that was made of Asian Americans um, before the riots, right? About like uh, store owners or that kind of stuff coming in and not respecting the folks from the neighborhood, hawking them around the stores, treating them really badly, um, you know, calling the police on them or worse, right? Um, so like we've got to basically be able to understand how how that works but how can we be calling out each other if we don't know each other's kind of experiences the fact is is that asian americans right are the least segregated group of all the racial groups in the u.s that means that a number of us are growing up in white suburbs it means a number of us are growing up in black and brown um you know neighborhoods right um and and what we have sometimes is people like from one poli trying to police another, right? So you have like people who might have grown up in largely white neighborhoods who have become woke, who are like, you can't do that. That's black culture, right? To people who have grown up in black neighborhoods or brown neighborhoods. And that doesn't make any kind of sense to me, right? Right. That's, right. that's like, that's that, like, there should be a conversation there. There should be a discussion there that should happen, right? Mm. We none of us want to have exploitation or expropriation happening for our communities or for other communities of color, right? So we should be joined together on that. And what I also want to say is, is sometimes that argument is used to police people in the wrong way, right? You can argue that that's black culture and say martial arts is Asian culture, and mm -hmm. then you could draw, a, you could put a fence around that shit and be like, you can never come across this fence, right? And that's exactly what capitalism is, right? Mm -hmm. It's racial. That's racialized capitalism, basically at its worst. Holy where it's shit! Like, racialized it's, capitalism. I've never even heard this term before. You just fucking blew my mind. It's racial. Okay, well, I'm just saying it's racial capitalism, right? It's like it's saying it's like yo, this is my property, right? I'm mm -hmm. drawing a fence around it, and you can't do that. So what are you trying to do here, right? The point mm -hmm. about culture is that you're trying to have an exchange. Yeah. Right. You're trying to have an exchange. And this is what the, the, the founders, the pioneers of hip hop have always said. Right. It was always about an exchange. Right. The problem is the exploitation. It's not in the exchange. Wow. Right? Like peace, we love, can, unity, the, having fun. That's exactly what that is. That's right. Yeah. So it's about like it's about like it's about like me and, and RZA being on stage and I being like, I'm like, look, yo, like. Like, I'm looking at New York City as the Far East, right? Because that's the Far East to me growing up in, in Hawaii. And I'm, like, loving hip-hop. And you're, like, a kid growing up in New York City, like, looking to to what you think is the Far East, right? For, like, Chinese culture, right? And mm -hmm. martial arts movies and stuff. And that's what you're getting off on. So, like, here we are together having this exchange. And that's kind of deep, actually, right? That's what the point of culture is. Yeah. And... And it's not like these exchanges are even. It's not like they're they're like without power. It's not like people don't come to these exchanges with without privilege. And we have to be able to recognize that. But at the end of the day, like I want to influence you. Uh, I want you to influence me, right? Because if we're going to come together and overturn the folks who are trying to oppress us, who are trying to keep us divided, right? That's what we have to be able to do. We have to be able to have an honest exchange and to be real about that so we can move together right so for people who want to draw a fence around what they presume to be some person's culture right who am i to tell rizza that he doesn't know like martial arts movies better than i do right right and who is 
who is somebody who hasn't grown up with hip hop to come to me to say like, like you don't know anything about hip hop. You can't and, and you shouldn't because that's black culture. Like, no, that's not it at all. That's actually the opposite of where we want to go with this. So I understand where people are coming from and I just want folks not to get it twisted. Like at the end of the day, you know, like we're, we're, we're having a conversation within Asian America about this kind of thing. It shouldn't be trying to police Aquafina. It should be trying to police uh, J. Key, right? Like, it should be like, yo, what, what, what was it that brought Aquafina and J. Key to this particular point, that brought Jeff Chang to this particular point, right? And where is the exchange and how do we do it in that, how do we do that exchange in an ethical kind of way that respects and tries to subvert um, oppressive powers? Ma, that's, I- that's incredible. That's incredible. Now, nah, Jojo, say 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 what you gotta say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I totally agree. I think there's, I find these kind of like call out culture, like you did something wrong or policing, really unproductive because I feel like we can disagree on things for hours and hours and hours, but then it takes so much more effort to agree on something and then, and to actually like propel the culture and to make it positive and productive and it just gets so exhausting after a while of someone trying to be like i'm on my high horse no i'm on my high horse and it's just not productive to me and i think you know some of us like are so kind of exhausted from those conversations and it, mm. it makes us not want to participate sometimes you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah mm-hmm. if anything like this whole call out culture is in a way it's like creating a little bit of fence that devises in a in a way way more than um inviting it's it's actually like kind of like taking it back to hip-hop like you mentioned the cypher like i love that word the cypher because it's um it's so similar to taoism you know what i mean it's it's zen buddhism is the circle everything is within the Mm -hmm. circle um and that's Mm -hmm. essentially what the cypher is and um you could kind of see correlations in so many different cultures and uh uh, and, and you know calling out like yo you can't do this when you don't know, policing each other that's the opposite of what a cypher is you know what i mean mm-hmm. um nah and and mm-hmm. but I, I think i know i know i know we we talk extensively about hip-hop but um if you could kind of address like another another argument that i hear often um amongst some of my uh peers uh that that are a little bit more aware of what's happening socially is that Asian Americans aren't always uh, in the social movements. There aren't always, um, you know, calling at calling out uh, injustices. Uh, they're busy yeah. just taking care of their own. Um, they don't really want to partake uh, partake in the conversations about other POCs. Like, mm-hmm. and um, I, from reading, you know, books about written by you and just kind of doing my own research, you know, like. Like, 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 you know, when Malcolm X got killed, like the lady who was right next to him was a Japanese lady. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and I don't think yeah. any of these stories are really um, told. And uh, now with the rise of like figures like Andrew Yang and just, um, you know, the, the advent of social media, I feel like there's more visibility of Asian um, political movements or political uh, activism. But mm-hmm. can you kind of like just tell us like, nah, like, yo, Have we always been active in the American political spectrum um, or is this a rather a new phenomenon? Yeah, I think that we've always been there. You know what I'm saying? Like Yuri Kochiyama's story, the the woman who was there cradling Malcolm X, you know, as he um, was uh, losing his life. Right. 
Um, that's a deep, profound story. I mean, here's a story of, of a woman whose father had immigrated, right? Um, and their family was trying to be the all-American family, right? Um, they're like, Yuri literally is like, like if she was not, um, if she was not Japanese American, if you looked at her high school resume, she basically had done all the things that she could to be a good American teenage girl at that particular moment, right? She was on all the leadership teams. She was on all the clubs. She wrote in the newspaper about like sports and that kind of thing. She like literally dressed as if she was like straight out of back to the future, the movie or whatever. Right. Um, and, uh, and suddenly her life gets tur turned upside down, um, you know, after December 7th and, and Pearl Harbor, right. Her father gets arrested. Um, got, he gets uh, sought by the FBI. He dies soon after, um, they get shipped off to, um, to, uh, uh, a, uh, to camp, right. They get incarcerated, um, uh, in camp and, um, and even then, right. Like she's writing letters to the Japanese Americans who are out there fighting for the U S right. Like the kind of way that Andrew Yang wants us to be right. To be super Americans. She's like coordinating the efforts to write letters to these folks. Um, the Japanese Americans who are out there on the front lines. Um, and she slowly over time comes to see how American militarism and colonialism created all these things. It was the reason that they were there in the U S in the first place. Right. And that begins to radicalize her slowly. But what really radicalizes her is she lives in Harlem and she's just living in Harlem. Right with black folks and she's seeing what folks are going through on a day-to-day -day type of basis. And she's seeing what Puerto Rican folks are going through on a day-to-day -day type of basis. And she's like, I need to be in solidarity with these folks. You know, this is my community. This is where I live. And these are my folks. Right. And that's what radicalizes her and makes her stand up and show up for, for folks around her in the community, you know? So that's how she ends up meeting Malcolm X. And when Malcolm X and her like meet, like they're having arguments about this. Malcolm X is trying to like tell her, actually, you think you're woke, but you're actually really not that woke. Come along with me. Right. And they spend a lot of time together. And that's why she's there um, in the Audubon ballroom on the day that Malcolm X is assassinated and stuff. Right. So that's that's Asian America, basically. Right. Sometimes we're trying to be whiter than white. We're trying to outdo the whites. Right. Um, but is that going to get us anywhere? Actually, it gets a lot of, of us, you know, uh, locked up, if not in physical prisons, then in sort of mental prisons, right? And what we need to be doing is to be looking to the folks who are affected the most, right? And that's where freedom comes from. And so Yuri Kochiyama is now remembered as a freedom fighter. And I think, you know, that's a lesson, I think, for all of us, um, that, that in, at the end of the day, we can actually sit on the fence because we have that privilege. Asian Americans have that privilege to be able to do so and watch all of these things kind of playing out and be like, Oh, that's not impacting me. I don't need to, I don't need to, to engage in that kind of thing. Right. Um, and we can just decide, yo, we're going to be about doing our thing, making our money, you know, getting our spot in the world and stuff. And basically, you know, trying to move up the ladder, become more white. Right. At the end of the day, 
like we're still going to be in our mental prisons, right? And we're going to be in a situation where somebody's going to come to you one day and be like, why did you bring this fucking virus to my country and spit in your face? <laughs> um, you know, Damn. that's what, that's, 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 that's a fact. Right. And that's so, you know, like, so how do we get out of that? Right. Uh, do, do we like immediately fight back in the same kind of way that we've been taught to? Like somebody spit in my face. I'm just going to go back and try to ruin that type of person, particularly if that person is a person of color. Or are we going to try to like figure out like how we're going to be able to change the conditions such that people are not are, are, are not like that the next time around, right? And that takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of work uh, on our parts to be able to get there mentally and psychologically um, and community-wise community to be able to do that. But that's, I think, the work that we, we have to kind of get to. At the end of the day, privilege um, is a lack of engagement, right? We show our privilege by not engaging, but nobody holds privilege for long. You know, um, mm -hmm. nobody holds privilege for long. Um, and at the end of the day, the, we, we need to be able to figure out how we can share our privilege. We can use it towards lifting up those who don't have their privilege. Um, and that's the path towards, um, you know, a, a, a more open society for everybody. For sure. For sure. Uh, Man, that was that was deep. <laughs> no, that was yeah. deep. It's hard. It's hard for a young person to admit that they have that privilege. I think it's hard for somebody to confront that they have privilege. I think for like a normal person, especially if they've been kind of thinking as like a natural right all this time. And to I, my friend made a really good quote about like you know when you grow up with privilege, equality feels like oppression. Right. Um, mm -hmm. Which mm -hmm. resonates to a lot of people, yeah. and they keep their heart really closed. So, um, thank you mm -hmm. so much for like outlining all that for us. Like, you need to earn your stripes, and you can't just come in as an outsider and, you know, be of the culture, as you say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for just spending so much time with us and enlightening us and our listeners with your gems. We got so many gems and exclusives, <laughs> and I know uh, Jake had a good time too. Um, before we wrap this up uh, with some of the questions that we have, uh, what are some other projects that are on the horizon? If you can give us mm. a sneak peek. Thank you. I mean, I'm doing a bunch of different things right now. Uh, I as I told you all earlier, we got this Can't Stop, Won't Stop um, Young Adult Edition that we're getting ready to drop early next year, 2021. Um, that's going to be by me and Davey D, uh, Dave Cook. Um, super excited about that working on a couple of um, background possible projects related to that as well. Um, might be an audio book. Maybe, who knows, we might be able to get a TV series out of this. Who knows? I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, I'm working on a Bruce Lee um, book right now. And uh, I wanted to put in a plug actually uh -oh. for this Jeff amazing awesome. movie that's coming out on June 7th. Oh, wait, hold up. Hello? You're back. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. You were, yeah, you, 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 it kind of paused for a second. I thought you kind of oh, like, shit. did like a little bebop oh. freeze. Nah. What did I say? That, you were saying that um, you have like a, 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 you were working on a Bruce Lee book. Can you, can you like yeah. start off from that? Yeah. Um, I'm working on a book on Bruce Lee. So that's been in the hopper for a while. I've been 
um, working with the family. And I wanted to actually, if I can, make a big plug here for this amazing movie that's coming out on June 7th um, by my good friend Bao Nguyen. Bao and I uh, did a PBS uh, series, actually, that's online on YouTube and Facebook um, for Are We Gonna Be Alright, my last book. And Bao's project after that was um, this movie called Be Water, which is a biography of Bruce Lee. And it's coming out on June 7th on ESPN. Oh, is um, it, it's going to be a 30 a for 30. Oh, it's a 30 for do 30 documentary on Bruce Lee? That's yeah. Yeah. That's, that's and it's incredible. That's serious. Yo, I'm that shit is incredible. We, yeah. It's like we, we debuted it uh, at Sundance. People loved it. And, you know, it's gotten moved up a little bit. It was going to come out in November, but it's gotten moved up because of coronavirus. But, yo, Bruce Lee, man, June 7th, Be Water, ESPN. We'll be ready. Yeah. So ready. <laughs> Thanks for sharing these gems. Oh, my God. It's like we're, our podcast is going to blow up. Um, but before we really wrap it up, there's a question that we ask all of our guests. Ah, nice. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. I just had to pull this out because I was just, um, I just finished reading this joint, uh, Bruce Lee's Artist of Life. Artist of Life. Yeah. Oh, that's so. like your spirit Good animal, book. your spirit hero. Oh, there it is. It's coming up from all sides. You know what I mean? I don't have one. <laughs> no, nah, nah, but, uh, nah, but uh, nah, that's amazing. That's amazing. I mean, I can't that's wait so to see cool. it. We might, I might have to do a, a, a live a Twitch stream of it as, uh, as I'm uh, watching it, you know? Like, oh, like a reaction video? Time. Yeah, like a reaction like, video, just narrating it while I'm watching it, you know what I mean? <laughs> um, nah, but that's, that's, that's incredible, man. I mean, um, you know, like, uh, just overall, like, I, I feel like your career trajectory as a uh, writer and a, a content creator um, that's always, like, thinking about the culture at the forefront and just continuously pushing things forward is something that is very admirable. So um, I just like to say, man, I mean, it's definitely an honor for me to connect with you even though we're doing this virtually, um, it's a, it's a great yeah. deal for me just because, um, you know, people like yourself has really influenced like my, my career as a whole, you know what I mean? Like, um, what, what I'm doing right now. So now nah, it's for sure. It's like, uh, definitely a good to link, man. Oh man. It's such an Which honor respect. for me too. Absolutely. Yeah. So now, nah, I mean, um, so I'm, I'm, I know time is of the essence. Uh, so with that, did said, you, was Jojo, were you asking a question? Oh I'm yeah. Sorry. sorry about that. I wasn't, I was, I had to go pick up my Bruce Lee book real quick, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, Jojo, please. You sorry about that. No, no, let's get all Bruce Lee and philosophical because this question is, um, what is the most significant relationship you have in your life? Oh, Wow. Wow. Um, that's, that's a big one. No, I mean, it's, you know, it's definitely with, with, um, with my partner, my life partner. Um, you know, we've been together since, uh, since college days. So we've been together for a very long time now. And, um, she's been able to allow me to, she sparked me to be able to do, uh, all the things that I've been able to do. And I've lived a really, really blessed life because, um, of her and um, my connection with her is like it has like basically allowed me to be able to strengthen my connections with you know all of the lines of folks that um, brought us here right um, uh, and uh, and then of course like we got kids so like all the folks who come after um, 
So that's for me, the magical thing in my life. If it wasn't for Lourdes, I wouldn't be here. So I can't agree with you more on that. Cause I mean, even Warren Buffett said like, yo, you know, for you to uh, increase your worth where, you know, the biggest investment where the best investment is to find and marry the right partner. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I, can't. I mean, I know, I know we were talking about a lot of, you know, fist bumping stuff, you know, I know, I know I just took yeah. it to the far capitalism with, <laughs> with a quote from Buffett, but, uh, you know, no, no, it's all good. It's all good. I think it's true though, man. I think it's really true. And it's like, you know, it's, uh, I mean, just to be able to find your people right in your life is, is so, so key. I mean, it doesn't have to be, like uh, a marriage partner or that kind of thing, but it could be your crew or what, whatever. Um, but the folks who make you feel connected, not just to them, but to everything and everybody, those are the folks I think who are the most important. So for sure, for she sure. does that for me. Yeah. No, that's amazing. Yeah. man. Um, that's a great I, question, yo. That's yeah, a really great yeah, question. Thank you for uh, that. Shout out to what? Uh, yeah. Shout out to our um, co-founder, Julie Young. For uh, for for phrasing that phrasing that uh question for us. Um, the second question we always ask our guests is, uh, what is your um personal mantra? Oh, um, I think you know it's probably something like I don't I, I wouldn't know how to put it into words except to say like to reach for all things you know um, which is which is to mean to find the connections that you can find to, to all things. Um, and that's something that I've come to like a lot later in life, you know, like you spend, I mean, I spent, I think a good portion of my, my, um, my life just being angry and mm -hmm. like working that out, like on the page or through creative work, all that kind of stuff, but like trying to prove something. Right. And I think at the end of the day, like, it's, it's really about trying to figure out how you make the connections to folks. So not just folks, but things, um, and not material things, but I mean, living things, right. Um, and, and living things that, and, and people who, uh, also have, have got you here. So I'm getting all shit. I'm getting all metaphysical and shit now, but like, I'll put it this way. Like my family, uh, I did kind of like, we did kind of a genealogy last year. And I realized that my family's been in the islands for seven generations now, like wow. from, from the Chinese side, from the Hawaiian side, of course, we've been there thousands upon thousands of years. Right. Mm -hmm. So, but that's really powerful because like indigenous folks talk about seven generations. Like you're, you're thinking about the seven generations that, that led to you being here and then mm. the seven generations to come. And, and so just recognizing that I'm at that connecting point, right. That, that um that this has been seven generations in the islands and that there's seven generations after that we have to take care of um just finding that connecting piece uh, for me was like really profound wow. um that's and so reaching mean, for all things is kind of the thing i guess no nah, yeah. that's 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 amazing man like i mean you basically just have knowledge of self you know what i mean like uh, to tie it back with uh you know i think like, you're trying to get it i think we're all trying to get it yeah 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 you know? we, we you know having knowledge of self and having understanding your roots is just uh um it's just like the foundation of like who you are and as an individual um nah but with that said i you know thank you so much for your time um you know, you've thank said some amazing things on this episode for us. Um, 
Really appreciate you, Jeff, for uh, joining us. Um, is there is there anything else that we should like plug? Um, you know, before we wrap up. No, we plugged a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, no, I appreciate y'all. I really, really appreciate y'all in terms of the work that you're doing and like how you're lifting up the community and bringing folks together. Um, sure. Super powerful work that you're doing. Thank so you I'm really so appreciative. Um, as Jojo would say, I mean, this was amazing. Um, big ups to Jeff. Uh, you can find him on Twitter and IG. Uh, Zentronics is spelled with the Z, Zentronics. Um, and you can visit his website, jeffchang.net. Um, and also, going back to $6.99 per pound, you know, you remember to stream us on all major streaming platforms on Spotify, Anchor, and Apple Podcasts. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to be the first to know when a new episode is released. Most importantly, rate and share this podcast with your comrades, with your friends, even your enemies, your jump-offs, whoever, whoever. Um, follow us at 6 dollars per pound on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter for the latest. Uh, support us by sending us a donation at coffee.com slash $6.99 per pound. On that note, much love to y'all. Stay safe, stay healthy, wash your hands. Peace. Hey yo, it's 6.99 per pound. Podcast.